Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. This is Holy Week, the time when Christians celebrate the victory of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Ever since last Sunday, Cameron and I have been reflecting on a sermon by Dan Reed, Grace's Director of Discipleship and Education. The text was the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, when, according to Mark's Gospel, after entering the city, Jesus heads to the temple to look around at everything. In this episode, we ask why the temple is Jesus' destination, and what it must have been like to look around the temple with the cross in mind. Well, this episode is releasing on Good Friday, and that means that Sunday is Easter. But I am still thinking about something that we heard last Sunday on Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, Dan Reed, our Director of Discipleship and Education, preached uh, for me, and he preached from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, which, of course, is the story of the triumphal entry. But there's an interesting moment at the end of that passage, which, to be honest, I don't know if I ever really appreciated before. So, Cameron, as you know, if you look at, for example, John's Gospel and the account of the triumphal entry there, or Matthew's Gospel, which we read as our lectionary reading in our service on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem, and then he goes to the temple and cleanses the temple. But in Mark's gospel, it's a little bit different. He does eventually cleanse the temple, but Mark's gospel has him getting to the temple late in the evening, and you get this fascinating line where it reads, this is verse 11 of Mark 11, he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And then he comes back in verse 15 and cleanses the temple. So I thought that was really an unusual moment to imagine Jesus at the end of that incredible day entering into the temple compound and, according to Mark, just looking around, you know, taking an inventory of things. In fact, after the service, as we were celebrating the Lord's Supper, I started thinking aloud about that moment, what it would have been like to be with Jesus in the, the temple complex, seeing things along with him and the significance of it. And it just struck me as quite a, an interesting and unusual moment. Yeah, you know, it's one of those verses or two that you just kind of fly over, or at right. least I have in the past. And, and because it doesn't seem like there's much going on, but I was glad that Dan pointed us to the fact that no, this, this is significant. It reminded me, in fact, of earlier, I don't remember if it's in Mark's gospel or, or a different one where, where we're told that Jesus set his face toward Jer- Jerusalem. Yes. It's kind of this yes. like determination. He's, he's going on his mission. Right. And, and this is sort of another one of those scenes almost where he, he walks into the temple and it's late at night. Yeah. And it's a sort of an eerie scene and he just looks around. 
Right. And you're like, what's going on here? And there seems to be some, maybe some foreshadowing about like what he's about to do. Yeah. I mean, in, in the gospels, like if you were, let's say zooming out and kind of taking them all together, there is a kind of like overarching structure where you have at the, the center of the story, uh, Peter's confession of faith, uh, admitting that, that Jesus is the Messiah and everything that comes before that is sort of focused on his, his healing ministry, focused on kind of, uh, you know, I guess you could say like the signs of the kingdom coming. Once that takes place, then it's as if the, the, the hourglass has been turned over, the timer is counting down, and everything is focused on Jerusalem, which means focusing on the end or, or purpose of Jesus's coming, his his work of atonement on the cross. And so, obviously, the triumphal entry is the beginning of that week and sets the tone for it. And what's fascinating about it, and, and what I, I really want to hold on to this Holy Week and, and continue to meditate and reflect on through Good Friday and Easter Sunday, is that line on the map from the gate that that brings you into Jerusalem straight to the temple. You know, it's not like Jesus just enters the city, has a big celebration, and then, you know, wanders around. Like, he has a purpose. He goes straight to the temple, and that's significant. Like, that's a, that's a meaningful destination in the ministry of Jesus. Okay, so why? What is it about the temple? Well, to understand that, I think we have to ask ourselves what the temple is and what it represents. So the temple is obviously the the successor in Jesus's day of Solomon's temple. So Solomon built that physical temple and then it was uh, restored significantly in Herod's day. So the temple that that Jesus would have been dealing with is the one that that Herod built or, or or rebuilt, I suppose. And you know it was it was between Herod's and and Solomon's. We have what we saw in the book of Zechariah, uh, Zerubbabel's efforts there to to rebuild. So we have a grand temple, then we have a, a sort of humble rebuilding after the exile. And then we have a grander restoration immediately before Jesus's day. But behind all of those temples is the tabernacle. If you go back to the book of Exodus, when God gives the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, he doesn't just give the Ten Commandments. He also gives this elaborate set of instructions for making a tabernacle. And the tabernacle is meant to be God's dwelling place among his people. So he is quote-unquote, tabernacling with his people. And that metaphor is one that that we often talk about when we talk about the incarnation. When we talk about Jesus coming and dwelling with his people, he's tabernacling with us, he's becoming one of us. So, so essentially, the tabernacle is that original place where God meets with us. Uh, it, it speaks to... Um, God's presence. Mm -hmm. There's another significance, though, because of what's inside the tabernacle. If you go inside the tabernacle, among other things, you find the altar, Mm. 
where the sacrifices are made for the atonement of sin. Right. So when you think about the temple and its significance in Jesus's day, this is still the place where the Levitical priesthood is operating. They're still conducting the sacrifices that were laid down in the Old Testament in order to roll back the sin of the people. This was all still going on in Jesus's day. And now Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he heads straight to this location. And throughout Holy Week, he is in and out of the temple. He is teaching in the temple. He's kind of walking around like he owns the place, (laughs) so much so that the Pharisees will confront him at one point and, and ask, like, by whose authority are you teaching these things? Like, who gives you the right to come in here and and, and act this way and say these things. And uh, of course, Jesus turns it on them. Like, like uh, he turns everything yeah. on his accusers. But, but the, but the point is that if the temple is the place where God dwells with his people and the temple is the place where the altar of sacrifice is located, then Jesus, God in the flesh enters Jerusalem and spends that time in the temple hmm. teaching the people And he's about to offer himself up as our Passover lamb. So I think it makes sense that he goes to this place where the sacrifices are made. And um, we get kind of that moment of of, um, resonance that the author of Hebrews talks about when he describes the, the, the temple in heaven and that the things on earth were simply copies of heavenly realities, and it was there that Christ made his ultimate sacrifice. And so a lot of those kind of mystical (laughs) conceptions of the temple suddenly jump out at you when you think that this is the place where Jesus spent so much of the week leading up to his crucifixion. It's really interesting to think about the altar, like you just said, on the one hand, and, and what could have been going through Jesus' mind as he's looking at it for that moment. But we're also told later on in the Gospels, or, or earlier, depending on where you're reading, that you know there's that scene where Jesus looks at the temple and says, I, I'm going to tear this down, and in three days I'll build it back up again. And and I think it's John who says, and by the way, he's talking about his body. Right. So not, not just the altar that he's, you know, he's thinking about the cross and, and, uh, and all of the significance of the sacrificial system, but the very structure that is representative of the presence of God, he's here to replace. And, and what a cool thing to be thinking about during um, Easter, you know, I guess. So I, I love thinking about that as we're, as we're moving into Sunday, like, Jesus going into the grave and coming up again, sort of changing the way that we think about the presence of God with us. Yeah, it's a fascinating metaphor, I guess we could say, mm-hmm. when Jesus describes the the temple and says, you know, if this is torn down in three days, I will build it up again. And it's it's a fascinating moment specifically because of how widely misunderstood it is. Mm. So much so that in the, did I miss it? No, no, no. Um, okay. But but in the you know the trumped up charges against Jesus in his trial, this is actually one of the things that comes back that people say, "Oh, this guy said he's going to destroy the temple." Right, right. You know, as if Jesus was going to get some of his followers together and and start knocking the the walls down or something. 
And so I think this is a saying of Jesus's that would have been widely reported at the time and widely misunderstood, which is why the clarification is made that he's speaking of his body, mm-hmm. right? In, in, in hindsight, in retrospect, it's possible to understand, okay, what Jesus meant was this. And, and the fact that that's what he meant is, is utterly fascinating because of the significance of, of the temple as God's dwelling place. You know, so when we talk about, again, following scripture, the idea that uh, like your body is a temple, right? Your body is a dwelling place for God. Like this, this is using this imagery that Jesus himself has given us where the, the physical structure, whether it was of the, the tent or later of the temple, is really not the, the point of it all. So a magnificent physical structure, the kind that, that Herod created, no matter how op, opulent and, and impressive it is to stand there and to look around as Jesus did and, and maybe to be impressed by it all, the reality is this is, this is nothing in comparison to what Jesus himself was as God in the flesh dwelling among us. And so again, and in that moment, if we place ourselves in it and we reflect on this idea of Jesus, God in the flesh dwelling with us, walking through the temple structure and looking around, as Mark says, taking it all in, we're not given more than that, but but it's an easy scene to picture. And I imagine myself, I guess, you know, walking behind Jesus as mm-hmm. he's he's looking and and you know, saying, What what's he looking at? You know, and and I imagine him especially like coming to like a face-to-face moment with that altar of sacrifice and considering all that it means. Because, you know, generation after generation of sacrifice made on that altar was all pointing forward to the sacrifice that Jesus has now come to Jerusalem to make on the cross. So all of this stuff that he's looking at is, uh, number one, about to be rendered obsolete, but, but to be rendered obsolete through fulfillment as he undertakes his sacrifice on the cross. And when you think about that, then every moment that he spends in that place, looking at those things that were made according to the instructions that God had given to Moses on the mountain, and now Jesus is looking upon them as the one who has come to fulfill everything that they signify, it's just one of those moments that, that's uh, hard to imagine, like all the fullness that that gaze encompasses you know sometimes in poetry and and in all writing you know we're we're told that you can say just as much by what you don't include you know you can you can speak volumes by not saying certain things and in a way i'm glad that mark just gives us this simple scene and then that's it and that's all we see because like like you're doing we're kind of freed in a sense to to wonder and and I think it's a really fruitful exercise. Obviously, we don't know exactly what Jesus thought, but it's it's very interesting 
to think about. I, I have this terrible comparison. I just keep thinking of like all these sports movies <laughs> where, <laughs> where like maybe it's a football team and the night before their big competition, you know, the coach walks out onto the field and it's empty and there's this huge stadium and he kind of looks around and there's always like this pivotal conversation in the movie or something huge, you know, and then they come out the next day and they have this huge game on the field. That's what I feel like is going on with Jesus. You know, something huge is about to happen here. There is. Okay. So, so I have a couple of even worse analogies <laughs> I, I, I can add on top of that. Um, and, and I'm not enough of a video gamer to be able to get into specifics, but occasionally you'll, you'll play games where before you begin a level, there's kind of a flyover hmm. that gives you sort of a sense of the lay of the land. Like this is the, the path you have to traverse. And occasionally in movies, especially in war movies, you'll see this. If, if the filmmaker is taking care to orient the audience and wants them to be able to follow the action, a way to do that is to give kind of like the bird's eye view, you know, to see yeah. here's the ground that has to be covered so that when you're down in the nitty gritty, you still have some, you know, landmark, some way of being oriented what direction we're moving in and, and what we're trying to do as we cover the ground. And I kind of imagine this moment similarly, that the work of Christ in a way is being surveyed in this moment as he has entered Jerusalem in triumph. He is about to accomplish this great work that all human history up to that moment has been pointing forward to and all human history after that moment will be looking back upon. And as he's about to do it in the temple and in the form of the temple, we have this sort of anticipation of the ground. Like this is a summary of the work that must be done. And it really is. The, the, the temple in its structure and in its ritual is a kind of hidden picture of the work that Christ must accomplish on the cross. And so it's not an exaggeration to say that, that in this moment, Jesus is coming, as it were, face to face with what he has to do. And of course, he would have had eyes to see exactly the significance of the temple and all that it represented. So obviously the disciples who were with him, this would have been lost on them. <laughs> just as it would have been lost on us. Mm -hmm. But for Jesus, it would have made perfect sense. And it also, I think, helps to explain the fact that Jesus then goes on to cleanse the temple. I was going to ask about that. Why, why do you think it explains that? Well, because I think that Jesus, above all others, has an appreciation for what the temple is and what it represents. So, you know, yes, zeal for thy house hath consumed me, right? Jesus has a zeal for the purity of the temple, and that in it of itself would be enough. But I think the fact that the temple has this sign value, you know, it, it's like a, you might think of it as almost like a sacramental structure. And what is being done in the temple not only uh, profanes it, but also distorts the message of the temple, let's say. So, you know, when we think about the cleansing of the temple, it's easy for us, I think, to, to relate to 
I don't know, like, like people being disrespectful in church, you know, like, like you imagine if Jesus came to church and kids were running and sticking bubble gum under the, <laughs> the pews, Jesus would fashion his cat of nine tails and run after the kids with it. And it's like, no, I don't think that's quite right. It's not that Jesus is flying into a rage because he doesn't like, you know, the, the chaos or the disrespect that's being shown. I think that there's a, a an obscuring of the meaning of this place when it's turned into this den of thieves, as if what it signifies is something that can be bought and sold, as if the atonement is a transaction that people can bargain over. And so the cleansing of the temple, I think, reveals Jesus's not just respect, but but again, like zeal for everything to do with the temple, which is ironic given the fact that, you know, people accuse him of wanting to knock it down and yeah. of, of not respecting it, not taking it seriously, of of flouting its authority, you know, by by treating it as his own place as he teaches. All of that kind of stuff is is wholly misunderstood because Jesus is the one who's treating the temple rightly. Jesus is the one who's preserving it, cleansing it, and ultimately fulfilling it. I think back again to what I said earlier about the the altar as, as one thing that Jesus looked at, but also just the symbolic meaning of the temple as a whole as the presence of God and, and how Jesus equates that to his body. I'm thinking now of the cross and the resurrection, how, how both of those things are pictured here for us. His death as the fulfillment of the sacrificial system and his resurrection as God's presence with us now. And yeah, I, I, I'm talking as we're, as we're, I'm thinking as we're, as we're going here, but I'm just really fascinated by the richness of what's going on here. Yeah. You know, there's a moment in Matthew's gospel, I think that really makes the tie, right? Because we are at the cross and the crucifixion. And when Matthew relates the death of Jesus, among other phenomena, he he makes note of the fact that, like, meanwhile, back at the temple, hmm. something really dramatic has just happened. So, again, the, the action has shifted. We're now on Golgotha. We're at the cross. But in Matthew, this is in uh, chapter 27, in verse 51, we read, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So, Again, meanwhile, back at the temple, the curtain, the veil that closes off the Holy of Holies so that it is inaccessible, at the death of Christ, that veil is torn in two. And in that moment, we have the, the obsolescence through fulfillment that I was speaking of earlier. Everything that the temple signified has now been fulfilled in Christ and you might say God has left the building. Yeah. I had a professor in college who said, God is now on the loose. Yeah. <laughs> and I right, always love that right, line. <laughs> right. Yeah. It makes me think of, of uh, Aslan is yeah. on the move, you know, right. <laughs> it, but yeah, exactly right. That, that the presence of God that had had this fixed location now expands and, and we start speaking of, of God within us and, and, everything changes because the, the, the focus, the location 
of worship has shifted from the physical temple in Jerusalem to the spiritual temple of the body of Christ, uh, his church. Well, Dan, if you're out there listening, thank you for your sermon. And Pastor Mark, as we're listening to this, it's Friday. Um, what encouragement do you have or what su- any suggestions do you have for people to kind of bring this conversation into their their celebration of Easter? Any last thoughts? Yeah, you know, as, as we celebrate Easter, we are obviously focused on the resurrection. And when we're fo- focused on resurrection, we naturally think in terms of the the physical, right? The body, Mm -hmm. the resurrection of Christ's body, our own hope of bodily resurrection. And as we do that, I do think it's helpful to think of that shift from the the physical temple to the temple of his body. So that as we think about the resurrection of Christ— we ought also to be reflecting on the gift that he's given us of his body, the gift that he's given us of his community of saints where he dwells among us. And so as we're reflecting on life, as we're reflecting on the impossibility of the grave holding him, it's also good to think about the fact that that no building could contain him, no, no temple could fence him in and that ultimately his dwelling place is within us. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.